Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming into you on your speakers and headsets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston, and I have Rahul here from Connecticut. Hey, Rahul, how's it going? Hey, Jackie, it's going well. How are you doing? I'm, I was doing pretty good until this weekend of Premier League, so <laughs> I don't know if I really want to do this podcast today. Well, there's a lot of other positive things happening around the club, so don't let this one result bring you down. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So, you know, the last podcast, you said that it was our first loss we're discussing. I didn't expect to discuss our second loss so quickly. Maybe that's what it's all about. But why don't you take us through and give us some of the negatives and positives, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, it's like the bus when you wait for one, it doesn't show up, but then two show up right after one another. So, <laughs> But like I mentioned, there's, a, there's some positive stuff happening at the club. So it's been a Chelsea-filled week. And it started on Monday with our draw with Atletico Madrid in the round of 16. Now, I know that's not very positive, but hey, if we're in the round of 16. We've got to beat some of these bigger teams. And so bring it on. Yeah, and it's going to make for a wonderful fixture playing Atletico Madrid. It's always great to have a challenging opponent. And I think Chelsea can be up to the challenge for sure. Yeah, we have to be up to it. If we want to win this tournament or go deeper, we We've got to beat the bigger teams and Atletico is one of them and we get to face Diego Costa again. Yeah, Chelsea old boy. I actually saw him post some things on Instagram lately of him scoring goals for both teams. So it'll be exciting to see if he gets any minutes on the pitch. I know he's getting up there in age, but he's definitely one to be worried about. Another Chelsea old boy who now is at the club and actually made his comeback on Monday night was Big Pete Petr Cech. Who would have thought we would see him in the famous helmet again? Exciting. So how did he make his comeback? He featured in the under-23 games in the Premier League 2 game versus Tottenham Hotspur. And there were some rumors flying around over the weekend, and then Chelsea confirmed it late on Sunday night. And he made his comeback and played the whole 90 minutes. So is Petr Cech doing this for fun, or is there some deeper meaning to this? I think there's some deeper meaning to this and the only time will tell if he eventually makes his comeback in, in the senior team, but it's good to see him back. I agree with you. It's like Gianluigi Buffon. He keeps playing and playing and playing and he's doing decent when called upon. So definitely not a shame to have better check back in the squad if he does make it to the senior squad. Yeah, you know, he actually commented or, or reposted one of the pictures Buffon did of Czech make playing the game and said, old is gold. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely exciting. Yeah, and so Czech played the whole 90 minutes, as I said. It didn't start off too well. He conceded two goals against the Spurs under-23 team in the first 20, 25 minutes. But then from then on, it was quite a quiet game, I'd say, for him. And, and we made an epic comeback with a late winner from Harris. And that just shows the mentality and the character of the young squad. Yeah, exciting. Hopefully we can continue to breed some of that mentality through the entire squad. Frank Lampard might have some future stars to pick for him as well. Definitely. Another star or, or a former star that featured in this game, and I, this isn't our blast from the past segment, folks, but that was Danny Drinkwater. You heard it right. He still plays for Chelsea. <laughs> he still plays for Chelsea, and he plays for the under-23 team. <laughs> 
It's quite a fall from grace, right? Danny Drinkwater won the Premier League with Leicester City a few years ago, made a big money transfer under Antonio Conte to Chelsea for about 30 million pounds or so. Never really got running. Sorry, came in the following season. And really, that was the end for Danny Drinkwater. He's gone on a bunch of loans, but it just hasn't worked out for him. So it's definitely a fall from grace. Definitely. And that was seen and summarized in this game. He plays the game and then towards the end of it gets sent off a straight red card because he reacted and kicked out at an 18-year-old for a tackle. Admittedly so, bad tackle from the young kid, but Danny Drinkwater, come on, you've got to do better. Yeah, I wish he had done better, but unfortunately it is what it is with Danny Drinkwater. I wish him well, and maybe he can find a change in, in January or even in the summer and just get his career moving back in the right direction. I hope so. And we've put in a lot of money apart from the transfer fees. So I hope it ends well for, for both parties. Yep, for sure. So we won that game on Monday and that put me and you in a great mood going into the Tuesday game, the senior team facing Wolves. Uh, but as we know now, that did not put us in a good mood. In fact, you almost did not want to do this podcast. Yeah, we can review that in detail in a little bit, obviously. <laughs> Um, but it's, again, another loss, two losses on, in a row. So definitely not something to be excited about. Yeah, I'll move on to the next one. Let's We'll, we'll keep this one short. Uh, Give me a minute to catch my breath after hearing that. <laughs> yeah, uh, this might put you in a better mood. The women's team played on Wednesday. So uh, like I said, it was a Chelsea-filled week. And they played Benfica in the second leg of the Champions League. And they won 3-0 on Wednesday and 8-0 on aggregate. So they are firing on all cylinders, aren't they? They are, and they they move on to the round of 16 as well. And I think we may have to start watching them more often to give us some some positive excitement. Looking for that silver lining, right? No, but credit to them. They're in great form. And you just touched on uh, the previous podcast that Fran Kirby is our all-time top goal scorer for the women's team. So I'm glad that this is continuing in a positive light. Yeah, and, and just on that note, today uh, we got to do a Q&A, participate in the Q&A with Fran Kirby and Sam Kerr, thanks to uh, Nike HQ for organizing it. And I was watching that and listening to them, and, and the whole time I'm thinking they have such a good interaction, relationship between the two players, and, and I think that spreads across the whole squad, and that comes out on the field. They just enjoy playing with each other. Yeah, for sure. When you have that chemistry off the field, it's definitely going to come onto the field and make it a nice partnership going forward. Yeah, so good luck to them. They play Tottenham this weekend, and then they have a, a little break before they come back in January. And the under-23 team playing Manchester United this weekend as well, so wishing them all the best. For sure. Hopefully they can get us another win there, and, and no harsh tackles, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> no. But a topic that we've avoided for the last few minutes we've got to get to and that is the game against Wolves yeah so it ended up with a 2-1 loss to Wolves with us actually losing in the very very last kick of the game but why don't you run us through it and we can kind of talk about it as we go through yeah so Pulisic was fit started this game and that that got us excited and and we were hoping that that would make a positive impact to the to the team and it did. I mean, he, he brings his directness to the game, which we lacked in the Everton game. And he attracts players and attracts fouls and opens up space for other players, which is what we need. 
Yeah. And honestly, watching the game through the first half, it wasn't like we were performing poorly. The game was actually played pretty well. Chelsea had some decent opportunities and decent control of the game for that first half. Um, I know that Giroud had several chances. Zuma had several chances. It was just a bit of an unlucky day that it didn't go in in that first half. Yeah, you know, it's we dominated possession for sure. And we dominated the left side, Wolves' left side, with Chilwell, Mount, Pulisic. And the whole time we were dominating, Wolves were always had the threat to hit us on the counter. And in fact, they ended the first half with two shots on goal and we ended it with none. Right. So that just summarizes us at the moment. But anyway, we went in level at halftime. We come back and, and within the first five, six minutes, we grabbed the lead from a Giroud goal. And from then that point on, you think, all right, we've got the goal, which we didn't get in the previous game against Everton. And let's build upon this. Yep. But for some reason or the other, we just lost control of that game from then, that point on. Yes, it's almost like we lose concentration. And just to touch on that Giroud goal, if you didn't see it, nice cross. Giroud's always hustling and bustling, hits it in. And the goalkeeper made a decent stop, but goal line technology did come in and rule it as a goal. But yeah, just to circle back, we just seem to lose concentration. And maybe we're tired. Maybe there's too many things going on, too many games. And that's causing this. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's part of the reason, but you would think for a game that you've dominated, at least kept most of the ball, you would manage that a little better. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's not just on the squad. I mean, there's a coaching staff, there's a manager watching the game from the side. And so a little bit of, I don't want to say blame, but a little bit of responsibility has to be shared by those folks on the on the side and and yes i am referring to frank lampard yeah agreed and credit to wolves as well we've touched on that they're not having their star striker in the squad they played a young 18 year old fabio silva up front podence played the wing who, who doesn't typically play the wing sometimes he operates deeper and neto on the wing as well and honestly those two players together are always looking dangerous no matter who they're playing yeah they, they they're good players and they have a lot of pace a lot of uh potential talent and you saw that from the Podence uh goal yeah he he cuts in fakes once and that takes Joel out fakes again and that takes Reese James out and then he hits it and yes it deflects off James but he put himself in that position to score agreed yeah he was just in good form moving towards the goal and the confidence is there you can see it he could tell that he wanted to put the ball in the net and he really drove through to all all our defense to make sure he could put in the goal and I, I mean Mendy's now conceded several goals. We were, t- were high praise from him in the beginning. I don't think he could have done much about this one, to be completely fair. Yeah, he, I mean, like I said, it deflected. It was a great shot, and, and he placed it really well right into the top of the goal. So you're right. I think not much could have been done from a goal, goalkeeping perspective. Yeah, and from then on, I I didn't really see us do much to change the game, get back in control. It, it, I just don't know what to say about it from here. Yeah, it, it it almost seemed like we got our one goal and we thought, you know what, we'll get chances and we'll score at the other end and Wolves don't really seem to be threatening. But Nuno changed it up a little bit. He realized that we were we were threatening off the left the first half. He shut that down. He brings on the young American kid. Uh, I'm forgetting his name right now, but 
that guy was a beast. He he totally just shut it down on the left. He was great going forward. And that's a testament to a manager who realizes a problem and fixes it. So something to learn for, for, for Frank Lampard uh, as a young manager. Yeah. And not to put all of the blame on Frank, we can talk about him in a minute and you know talk about formations and what to do. But some of the blame does come onto our players as well. And we don't like playing the blame game. It's just to understand what went wrong. You're talking about 1-1. Unfortunately, we're not winning the game. When you concede a goal in the 95th minute from being at the other end, I mean, literally our players and the ball is towards the 18 18 box of Wolves. And two or three players are able to run it all the way down and actually score on the other end. It, It just shows that we're not focused. We're not paying attention. I think for the goal... Kovacic was so far up. Conti was far on the left wing. We were sixes and sevens, and they just broke through. It went over to Neto, and he scored a beautiful finish into the corner of the goal. That's you've put it perfectly. We we were pushing so hard that we forgot that we could we had to defend our our goal too, and and Neto punished us for that. And it's sad because you and I have talked about. Frank Lampard's game management in some previous games where we were winning one or two nil and we actually controlled the game. We kind of lost the plot as far as game management goes. If you've, you're winning one nil, the tide has shifted. It's one, one personally, I want to win every game, but I'd rather take a draw reset from the loss that just happened at Everton and kind of continue from there. But it, it wasn't to be. Yeah, it wasn't to be. And, and the other thing I didn't quite get was why we switched Timo Werner and Pulisic. From... I don't understand that because we've all discussed Pulisic coming off the left wing. He's brilliant. And I wonder if it's a, it's tactical or something because Wolves made a change, but it did not help us. It didn't. And it didn't help us mainly because Werner is also out of form currently. Right. He's just got to be honest. And overall, we faded out of that game instead of growing back into it after our goal. And I, I think it's a learning lesson, like I said, for, for Lampard, for the squad, and uh, for the younger players such as Mount and, and Werner and Pulisic and, and Kai Havertz and Reese James that are now trying to stake a claim to be you know regular first-teamers. Yeah, and unfortunately, the loss of form is coming at the wrong part of the season. This is usually the part of the season you're hoping your team is completely gelling to some degree. It has. He's found his starting 11 that he prefers. He's found his shape, but the results are not coming. It is just two losses. It's not the end of the world, but slight cracks are appearing, and we've talked about other clubs, so we have to be fair. If we're talking about cracks with Man City or cracks with Liverpool, these are slight cracks. that are. And Lampard has said it himself. He doesn't think this team is ready to win the Premier League, but as Chelsea fans, we're always optimistic when we're up there in the table. Unfortunately, now we're not looking so good in the table. And and it is close. It is very close. But every point counts towards Christmas. Yeah, every point counts. But no team, including our favorite team, has a God-given right to win a game. We've got to earn that. And when we don't earn that, other teams will punish us in this league. That's just the reality, reality of it. And... There's, you know, there's not much more to be said. We lost. We didn't deserve to win. We take it on the chin. Yep. And we've got to bounce back now. Uh, but some of the reaction that I saw after the game, I get people are upset. I get you want to vent. You want to express your feelings. But some of the reaction was just very uncalled for. I mean, Lampard out. Lampard's a checkbook manager. Uh, Lampard's Sam Allardyce. 
this I mean this new age Sam Allardyce. What else did I see? Uh, Lampard is Arteta with a family inheritance. Like all this crap is just very uncalled for because he's still very young. He's in his third season as a manager. He's spent money, obviously, because Chelsea as a club were always going to spend that money. We went a whole summer without replacing Eden Hazard. We were going to spend that money regardless of Lampard or any other manager we had. Yeah, so, I mean, I have a couple of points on that. Honestly, it's the nature of the world we live in today. It's very easy to sit behind a computer and make fun of somebody for a couple of losses. These are the same fans that in the beginning of the season would see us going on several wins on an unbeaten record. And you love Frank Lampard. A couple of wins do not equate to, for lack of a better term, the abuse. It's not necessary. We need to support the club and move in the right direction. So it's not nice to see, but I think it's the nature of the world we live in. People think it's funny to post things like this or whatever. The other thing people need to understand is if you're calling him a checkbook manager, the clubs don't work like they used to back in the day where a manager has an open checkbook and they can spend it on whichever player they want. They do have some input, but there is a board that sits down, evaluates the choices, evaluates the budget, and makes sure that it makes sense long-term for Chelsea. You're looking at when you sign somebody like Thiago Silver, they gave him a one-year contract. It was a free, so it made sense because Frank needed a center back. You're looking at midfielders. Look at the players they signed. They were all under the age of 25 for this particular season because they are trying to build something in the right direction. And if you want Frank Lampard to have instant results and we're going to go spend $200 million, he can go buy superstars at the age of 27, 28 that are in their prime. It's looking at what he's building. There are going to be blips, and people need to understand that. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And every manager spends money. And so to say Lampard's a checkbook manager, now whatever, rival fans will want to banter and, and call right. him, you know, call him names and, and rejoice in Chelsea's current current two defeats, but use that same energy with Arteta then. Right. It's it's a little unfair. And I'm not sitting here and saying, Oh my god, they're picking on Lampard. He's an adult. We're fans. We get it. But Ole and Lampard are treated very differently to Arteta. And so that's my whole thing is Arteta has also spent some money. Maybe he's not spent it in transfer fees, but he's paying William over £200,000 a week to do absolutely nothing. Right. So there, there's some facts there and, and we're not going to change people's minds, but no, and I, you know, to, a, to a certain point, we have to be critical as well as fans, but critical is analyzing where things can improve and what went wrong. But as a fan insulting your own manager, and I understand banter, trust me, it's we've made fun of Man United and Arsenal on this very show, so I understand banter. But when we're seeing things from so-called Chelsea fans criticizing to the level that we're seeing, it just doesn't sit well with me. And me either, my friend. It's it's very frustrating to see people put their opinions out there because they play FIFA every day and feel like our team on the field should perform exactly like that. This right. is the real world. This is human beings you're talking about at the end of the day. And you don't know what anybody's going through at any point, right. which is affecting their on-field performance. And so it's not a computer doing being controlled by someone that can score a goal or whatever so yeah and just on that point honestly before we drag on too much on Chelsea people forget 
you and I were blessed. We were able to sit in our homes and relax, have a beer, have a drink with our families, especially coming towards the Christmas period and the New Year's. Football players, granted, they're paid a lot of money. I agree, and I hear that. But as a human being, you don't get to always spend the holidays with your family. You don't get to spend New Year's with your family towards this period. It's very, very busy. It's extremely intensive on the body. So at some point, we have to have some forgiveness towards them. You can be critical, but I don't think trying to poke fun at them is definitely the, the way to go anyway. So, Yeah, I, th- I think we've expressed ourselves pretty clearly on where we stand. And regardless of the way things are going, we support Lampard 100% and we support the squad 100%. Absolutely. So those two losses back to back leave us seventh in the table and I have to eat some humble pie. We talked about Man United having some struggles. Man United are sitting sixth in the table, a point ahead of us with a game in hand. So how quickly the tables can literally turn in the Premier League. We said it a few weeks ago. It's one or two results go the wrong way and you slide way down. And and you're talking about can they make top four versus are they in for a title challenge? Yeah. So one last question I have for you before we, we get off of Chelsea is, do you have a man of the match for this game? We always like to talk about a man of the match. Do you have a man of the match for this game? You know, you've got to give it to the positive thing that happened in the game, and that's Giroud scoring the goal. So I'll give it to Giroud. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. I think he's, for, for somebody who was not always consistently in the game, he's definitely been putting in the performances. So man of the match for me as well, although he couldn't do much without too much service. Yeah, I We'll talk about the upcoming game and, and some of the changes we want to see, but he's he's doing well and he's getting the goal. So, All right. With that being said, do you want us to move on to Liverpool Spurs, the big game of the of the week? Yeah, let's let's talk about that. Let's move on to some more drama that happened there. <laughs> so as you said, that was the big game of the week. It was top of the table clash between Spurs and, and Liverpool. And... I mean, it was exactly what we expected from both teams. Uh, Liverpool dominated possession, tried to create as many chances, and Spurs just soaked it all up and tried to hit them on the counter. Did you hear before the game of Jose Mourinho's comments towards Liverpool's injury problems? And you and I have talked about Liverpool's injury problems here. I did. It was one of those moments, Jose Mourinho moments, where he knew exactly what they were going to ask him, and he came prepared to give them that that answer and he lists all the players that are not injured <laughs> and to prove his point that Liverpool do have a re- really good squad yeah for sure but it's it's typical Jose love him or hate him that man brings entertainment with him so if you haven't heard his comment he exactly what Rahul said he lists all the players that are, are not injured which again Liverpool have a big squad just like everybody else he, he neglected some of the the big injuries which kind of makes it seem like why are Liverpool complaining? This shouldn't be an issue. So just strange to see. Yep. Jose Mourinho and his mind games and, and taking really pressure away from his team by by making some of these these claims and trying to grab the headlines himself. Yeah, exactly. But it, it was it was a f- entertaining game in that you could see the two different styles going up against each other and how they they tried to play with with you know differing uh, tactics and uh, Liverpool obviously went on to win the game right at the end but it would have been very frustrating for them to have all that possession and, and leave with the point so let me talk about some stats before we get into the real 
meat of the game because I found this really interesting and then you can cover a quote that happened at the end of the game. So obviously you just stated Liverpool won the game. They did win 2-1. Overall, between the two teams, Liverpool had 17 shots to Tottenham's eight. 11 of those shots were on target with with Tottenham having two on target. Now granted, one did go in, good for them. Liverpool had 76% possession compared to Tottenham's 24%. This, This one is a killer. Liverpool had 813 passes versus Tottenham's 254. What is going on? I mean, did Tottenham play football that day? I have no idea. With a pass accuracy of 88% to 61%, fouls were pretty much the same at eight versus nine. Tottenham had a couple more yellow cards, but when you set out to play defensively, that happens. Liverpool had a couple of offsides and Liverpool had seven corners versus Tottenham's four. But the one key stat I want to point out there is 813 passes to 254, as well as three quarters of the ball the entire game. Those stats support exactly what I've said was Liverpool dominated the ball and Tottenham were, we'll soak it up, we'll soak it up and then hit them with, with Son and, and Bergwijn. And at one point he brought in Lucas Mora and it was just like, he's ready to just soak it up and then hit everything at them. And it wasn't a beat for them. And he came out and said, the quote, like you mentioned, was the better team lost. That's that is. Do I need to go through the stats again? <laughs> uh, I mean, OK, let's for a second. Let's just think about why he's saying that they did have the better chances, which nobody's going to deny them. They hit the post. They had a lob from Harry Kane that almost caught. Allison out. Uh, and overall, they seemed a little more threatening because Liverpool were committing more men forward in terms of supporting the attack. Um, but on the flip side, I watched those highlights again and I saw Mane hit the bar. I saw Firmino make a save out of Lloris. And then eventually Firmino scored. So did they really have the better chances? I don't know. Jose Mourinho will tell me they did, but at the end of the day, this game is about scoring goals. I agree with you. You know what it comes down to is Jose is finding a way to motivate his people without really talking to them in person. This is a game on paper and on the back of last season. I don't care how good Tottenham are and who they've staffed in their squad. Liverpool should be and were the better team. So when he comes out and says things like the better team's lost, I think he's trying to play psychological games on two fronts. One is... Jurgen, you had 76% of the ball and you scored 2-1. I still scored against you. Something isn't right here. And you got lucky with one goal, maybe. And on the backside, his team are going to be listening to these things and think, oh, he actually thought we were the better team. We defended well for the most part. And and maybe it gets them in the right direction. No, you're absolutely right. And the third part of it is it grabs everything away from Tottenham losing a game. and, And it becomes about... Mourinho thinks they were the better team. Mourinho thinks that they deserve to win. Mourinho thinks that Klopp was very uh, animated on the touchline because he did mention something about Klopp on the touchline and even made a reference to Pep the night before. And he also said that Klopp spent about, I think it was like something like 2,000 days or something, I may be wrong, more than Mourinho has with his current squad. And so it all becomes about those points versus Tottenham only had 24% of the possession and did not come here to play football. They just really came to defend. 
And so, like you said, the two points and then the third one, it takes everything away from Tottenham and, and they go away home and, and can recover and come back and play the next game. Yeah, and look, these these tactics work, whether you like them or not. They do draw the eye and the attention away from the fact that Tottenham lost. But this is why I like doing this podcast with you, because we try and open up everything and let the listeners understand that our two sides of the story, Tottenham just didn't have their day, which we expected, and it ended up being a Liverpool day. So it just kind of ended up being good for them. The The wind puts them at the top of the table. They are sitting in uh, first with 28 points and Tottenham not too far behind with 25 points. But again, it's super tight at the top of the table. Yeah, and I think Mourinho realized that going into the rest of the season, he's going to have to pile the pressure on Liverpool and start some of these mind games, like we said, against Klopp. Right. And so... This game, prior to the game in the press conference and post-game, was all just Mourinho working on Klopp and Liverpool going into the rest of the season. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the next interviews from Jurgen are going to look like, especially after Mourinho made his closing comments about animated on the field, because we know Jurgen Klopp does get excited and does get loud. I wonder if that plays into this in his next next couple of interviews. Yeah, and I guess I have a question for you on that, right? You and I have watched Mourinho... So uh, manage our team and be sent off from the touchline numerous times. Does Mourinho have a point to a certain extent that he is treated differently compared to Jurgen Klopp, who may become may come off as a more friendly person towards referees and officials, uh, and even Pep Guardiola, who has this aura around him that he's the best manager in the world, and and his teams just play the best football. Versus a Mourinho who's more defensive, comes off as mind games and, and just a, maybe more of a, a mean character. So I think it's a yes and no. I don't think it's a black and white answer. It's a gray area here because I think you described it perfectly. If you talk about Jurgen Klopp versus Mourinho, let's leave Pep out for a minute. You said Jurgen Klopp comes across as a more friendly manager. When you treat people in a more friendly persona or with receptive communication, they're obviously going to understand and say, He's just an excited coach. We don't need to send him off. But if you look at some of Mourinho's history, where he's aggressive towards coaches, makes jabs and statements, it's going to perceive you in a different way as far as this guy is looking to get sent off because he's causing trouble. So that's one point. And as far as why is it happening, you do have a history. History follows you wherever you go. It's not like you're going to come up for one day and people are going to forget what you've done in the past and give you a break. So it's a yes and no. It's not really a gray area. But if any manager does something inappropriate, they deserve to be sent off. If Jurgen Klopp is screaming and cheering his team with passion, and as long as he's not getting in a referee's face, then then let it be. Yeah, I think you've put it put it right. It's just the the persona and and what you put out there. And with Mourinho, it comes off as a more of a negative kind of approach, but works for him, and it works for Klopp the other way. Right. Yep. So let's move on to some of the other games that we previewed uh, going into this week. And and that was the first one was Arsenal Southampton. I mean, I'm not sure what else to say about Arsenal. I'm trying to be positive. You know this because we've talked about Arsenal quite a little bit. Um, The first thing I will touch on, because it's the first thing that pops into my mind, is another red card. So if you haven't watched the game, Gabriel gets another red card. And I don't mean by him getting another red card. Another Arsenal player gets a red card. Now, in this particular case, it wasn't necessarily something out of spite or something out of anger. 
when we talk about disciplinary issues, but it's just two yellows, gets them sent off. There are disciplinary issues. You need to start understanding that the team is not in a good spot. We need to make sure we're taking care of my teammates. I'm on a yellow, protect myself and don't make silly challenges. And that's really the first thing that stands out to me. Yeah. And this was, I believe, after they had equalized. So they've brought themselves back in the, in the game after they've gone four successive games at home losing. And maybe he was just very and, um, aggressive or not aggressive. What I mean to say is he may just be very hyper in that, oh my God, we're about, we may win this game and I've got to stop them from scoring. And he commits that foul. But yeah, it doesn't help the team when you go down to 10 for another game. And now that's seven red cards in the past year for Arsenal, which is four more than any other team in the same period. Yeah, I just don't know where this picks up and looks good. I don't want to jinx too much on Arsenal because we are playing them soon after our next game. So we're trying to be a little bit positive here. Uh, Overall predictions, I honestly thought Southampton would overrun them. So overall, I I had said it was going to be 3-0 to Southampton. So a 1-1 result might be okay for Arsenal, especially since Obama Young scored from open play good news for him it'll do his confidence a, a world of good and hopefully they can spring ball a spring uh, springboard off of this after the chelsea game and it'll be something they can look forward to for the christmas period yeah as you said obama yang scored after 648 minutes of football yeah it's for somebody who was their talisman it's definitely i think it's long overdue yeah and one of the things i wanted to bring up was after the game they they got to tie saka who plays for arsenal uh, the youngster had a post out and said, we've got to do better for you Arsenal fans. And on the flip side, Aubameyang's retweeting Gary Lineker's tweet of something about how Aubameyang's class finally came out. And he's got the eyes emoji, like, see, like, I am a good player. Like, you, I scored a goal or whatever. And it just shows you the difference in mentality and in caring between a youngster who's come through at Arsenal against the guy who's really showing you, look, I am a goal scorer. Yeah, and honestly, I think we've talked about this on the Mikel argument of whether he should stay or go. I've said it many times, no disrespect to Aubameyang because he has been a fantastic goal scorer throughout his entire career. But at some point, was it right to keep him? And this is not just against Aubameyang, it's against the entire squad and how they've been recruiting. And at the end of the day, Mikel Arteta is going to live and die by these players. So... You've made a really good point is if you don't care about Arsenal Football Club and your heart's not in Arsenal Football Club, I think Mikel needs a change. And how do you get a change? Because it's a rebuild process. They've been signing players, in my opinion, and we've talked about this, that are not right for the club. So we'll see how this plays out. Again, hopefully this is a springboard, but after they play Chelsea. Yeah, after. So I predicted a draw for that game and I said 2-2, but it ended up being 1-1. So... They play Everton next, which would be another tough one, but we'll we'll talk about that. The next game we spoke about was Fulham-Brighton, and we thought there would be goals in it, but there were none. Yeah, I honestly thought Fulham would win, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, Fulham continuing to nick a point here and there is good for them. They were struggling a little bit early on in the season. I don't think there's much to be said on the game. It ended nil-nil, but, yeah, it's I'm glad they're moving in the right direction. I've always liked Fulham, even though they're a London rival. Yeah, for both teams, I think it's it's a good result and they right. can continue their fight for survival. Uh, the last game was Sheffield United versus Manchester United. So honestly, you and I both 
predicted that Man United would not concede a goal. They usually are very good away from home. And Sheffield United, what's their what's their form? I don't think they've won a single game this season in the Premier League. And somehow or the other, they managed to put two past Man United. I don't want to say too much about Man United because now they're sitting ahead of us in the Premier League with a game in hand. So whatever they're doing is working. Kudos to them. But defensively, maybe they need to take a look at... They've spent a lot of money in the last couple of seasons with Aaron Van Basak. I think he was 50 or 60 million. And then Harry Maguire at 80 million for a centre-back. And still some interesting things to see with defensively. But they, they get the win and that's what matters in the Premier League during this busy off uh, Christmas season. Yeah, just to touch on the Sheffield, they've won one point after 13 games, which is fewer, it's the fewest in the Premier League history. Yeah, and honestly, you said this. How do they get out of this? Is it Chris Wilder leaving or is it done and dusted and they're going down? It's just sad to see. The Sheffield owners and, and management team came out and said, Chris Wilder is our guy and, and he stays. Okay, so we'll see where this ends up. At the end. I just don't see how they're going to make it out of this. Yeah, and I mean, it's a class move from the club to support their guy who brought them up, but it's getting difficult to continue yeah. down that path. And to touch on United, again, they go a goal down and come back and, and win the game away from home. So whatever they're doing away from home is working. They're 10 successive win away from home. And so if they've sorted out their home form, they could be somebody to be afraid of for they sure. They could definitely. And if they win their game in hand, like we've spoken about, they shoot up to second. It's it's what a crazy season it is this year. I'm actually enjoying it for the most part. I know Chelsea's up and down right now, but it's nice to see how competitive the league is and not one team running away with it. Not that Liverpool didn't completely deserve it last season. However, it's nice to see the competition and how difficult the Premier League can be. Also, did Anthony Martial score today as well, right? Oh, you know he did because I... <laughs> I've been waiting for this moment. I've held on to him for 13 weeks in my fantasy Premier League, and he finally repaid my fate. He delivered. So where do you sit in the fantasy Premier League now? I still sit at the bottom. Well, I said ninth out of 10, but the gap's closing. It is. Yeah, I've gone two losses in a row. I feel like I'm Chelsea at this point. <laughs> hey, you are called Filthy Franks. So. There you go, yeah. <laughs> uh, and one game we did not touch on because we thought, well, it's going to be an easy win for Man City was West Brom versus Manchester City, which ended 1-1. Yeah, I'm surprised to see that, actually, because West Brom are at the bottom of the Premier League as well. But again, it just goes to show if you, you know, a combination of a, a couple of injuries plus a busy season, especially going into this Christmas and some inconsistencies, it can help anybody win a game. Anybody can beat anybody. Yeah, and even after that, West Brom fire Slavon Bilic. I, I honestly, I don't know what to say. It, I get it because you're trying to get your team out of the bottom of the Premier League. I, I just don't know where you go, who you find. Um, but I, I think they found somebody pretty decent to get them out of the bottom of the Premier League if, if they had to find somebody. They found Big Sam. Sam Allardyce is back in the Premier League and he has never been relegated. So everything points towards a West Ham, uh, sorry, West Brom recovery and It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, as soon as I saw that news, I think I messaged it to you because you and I grew up for years watching Big Sam's Bolton terrorize clubs across the Premier League. And he's been to a couple of other clubs since. But it's just a joy to watch. He, he plays direct, straight. For, you're not going to see tiki-taka fancy, fancy football. 
but he plays direct football to get the result, which sometimes you miss that in football. Just lob it up top, get a big guy up there, knock it down and, and score a goal and hold on to it. And that's what a team like West Brom, who's lower in the in the table, need at this point. So I am excited to have him back. Yeah, me too. I remember his Bolton team when we first started getting into the game and man, they were difficult to play. Absolutely. So good luck to, to West Brom and, and Big Sam. Um, so let's move on to this weekend's games. Uh, another quick turnaround from uh, this past game week. And let's start with Chelsea versus West Ham. So why don't we start by saying we don't have any fans because unfortunately, London is now classified high on the COVID results or COVID numbers. So they've pulled back what they were trying to do, which is increase the fan capacity. So it's going back to a quiet Stamford Bridge again. Yeah, tier three, London goes into, and and that means no fans, like you said. And a little sad for, for the folks that were looking forward to being in the stadium over this festive period. But whatever needs to be done to keep everyone safe and prevent the spread, so... Yeah, absolutely. Totally understand it. But so why don't we start off with a predicted lineup? Because I think you and I might defer slightly today. Yeah, I, just before we get into that, I just want to run through West Ham's last sure. five games. So they just drew against Palace the other day. They won against Leeds. They lost against United. And then they won against Villa and Sheffield. So they're coming in, into this game in some decent form. And Chelsea, as we know, lost the last two. And before that, they won against Leeds, drew against Spurs, and won against Newcastle. So yeah. all of that means they sit right below us in the table in eighth yeah, position. Just by one point, honestly. 22 points to Chelsea at seventh and 21 points to West Ham in eighth. So this is a, it's a good game because I know we've already touched on the table being tight, but psychologically, <laughs> the lower your number drops in the table, the players are aware, no matter what anybody tells you, they're aware that... A few weeks ago, we were sitting at the summit of the Premier League, and now we, we're potentially going to be going down to ninth or even 10th if we lose this game. Yeah, and credit to David Moyes, another household name in the Premier League who struggled with West Ham but kept them safe last season. And now he's reaping the benefits of, of having a team that knows what he wants them to do. Absolutely, yeah. So now now back to the predicted lineup. What's, what's your starting eleven? I think I've said this a few times. I think Frank has found his preferred starting 11. I think he's found his preferred formation. So for me, I don't see how too much changes other than a couple of names here and there. And I'll give you a reason in a minute. So Mendy in goal, I can't fault him for the previous two goals conceded as a team. James continues at right back. Zuma Silver partnership goes on. Ben Chilwell at left back. A three in the middle of Kovacic, Kante and Mount. I think they will balance the team. I've dropped... Kai Havertz, as we move forward into the starting lineup, it's going to be Pulisic, Giroud, and Werner. And honestly, I'm only looking to drop Kai Havertz because we've touched on this in the last podcast as well. I think he looks a little bit tired and he just needs a break. That's a strong enough starting lineup, in my opinion, to compete with any team. It's just a matter if physically and mentally we're up to the challenge. That, that's a definitely a strong lineup and, and one that we've gone with multiple times this, this season. And I would have been okay with it if we hadn't hit this wall in that we hold possession up until the final third and then we just don't know what to do with it. So I think we need some kind of change, especially with the absence of Ziyech 
and and the lack of of goal scoring threat that we have right now, which is weird to say because just two weeks ago we were scoring for fun. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I think th- there has to be some change and some surprise from Lampard because you know West Ham will know exactly what to do and and that sit deep, hold on to their their defense position, right, and then just hit us on the counter. Um, so. Given that we've conceded four goals in the last three games and lost the last two, I think we switch it up with the back three, uh, four in the midfield and three up top. So Mendy keeps his position. Um, Aspilicueta comes back into that the back three with Zuma and Silva. Uh, I'd go with James as the right wing back, Conte and Mount in the, the middle of the midfield and Chilwell as the left wing back. And then... If Pulisic is fit and ready to play again in the space of five days, then he comes in with Tammy and Werner up top. Okay. I honestly don't have a problem with that formation. My concern is that if we change it up, we lose a little bit of rhythm. Why I don't have a concern is I don't care how we play. I just need to get back onto winning ways and settle the team at this point. And that's really where my mindset is at. Yeah, me too. But I, I like I said, we've barely threatened in that Everton game. And then we in the second half after we scored, we barely did anything. So we've I don't know if it's mental. I don't know what if it's we need a change in midfield and maybe Jorginho comes in. That may be a shout. But we need to do something different. And I think that he changes it up just based off of that. Okay. So what do you think the result will be based on your new formation you're playing here? Yeah, I still think it'll be tight. Okay. Um and given that we've lost the last two, we lost to West Ham last season in this game at home. Um, and West Ham have been in great form. They get a goal, but I think we should be able to score at least two. So a 2-1 win. Okay. I really, really want to be wrong today. This is just off some bad feeling of where we are in, in, in the table and how we've been performing recently. I just look, we look lethargic and I think we need to get to January and kind of get some of our wingers back fit, but I think we will lose one nail to West Ham United. Wait, what? I think we will lose one nail to one nail to West Ham United. Are you going to put some money on this? I don't want to put. I like I said, I want to be wrong. I would love to go there, play the game, and we trash West Ham United four nail. But it's just, I just, I'm not feeling it. And hopefully Chelsea do everything in their power to prove me wrong. I will be super excited for every single goal that goes in. And remember, we're playing on Monday nights. So we do have a little bit of a break. So I'm hoping that comes out to be me completely wrong. I'll be happy to be wrong. I, I pray that you are wrong. Because if we lose a third game in a row, we may be talking about checkbook manager and all those claims for, <laughs> for a longer period. Yeah, I'm going to turn my ears off to some of the negativity. I think we're going through a little bit of a blip and we have to ride it out. We just got... Even if we lose the game, I just want to see some of the basic things being done right. Controlling some of the ball, defending, not losing position. And I think everything will come naturally. It's looking like we're going in a wave that started in the beginning of the season where certain things were happening where even though we were playing well going forward, we were not controlling the game. We were losing the ball or giving away the ball. You touched on Kai Havertz giving away the ball or not having a plan. As long as we're imaginative and we try, it's just I have a gut feeling and hopefully my gut is completely wrong. I, I pray it is, but I can't talk about your, your prediction anymore. So I'm going to move move on <laughs> sure. to the next game. Uh, Southampton versus Manchester City. Mm, Southampton and Man City have 
both looking okay. Man City just came off a draw. Southampton is also coming off a draw. I think it'll end 1-1, to be honest with you. That, that's a good shot. My, Southampton sit third in the table, so right. they've, they've been doing well, and I think Man City... They need a win, right? They need a win, but for some reason, they're not scoring, too. No. Um, so maybe if Aguero starts, they, they might sneak in a win, but it's going to be tough. And credit again to Ralph Hasenhutl at Southampton. But I think Man City win it 2-1. And credit to you, because I cannot pronounce his last name for the life of me. So good job there. I've been practicing. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next game is Everton versus Arsenal. Everton been flying the last two games. I hate doing Arsenal predictions because you know I'm going to say they've been poor. We've talked about it and Everton are going to win this game. And then of course they come to Chelsea and I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I think Everton is going to beat them too now. I, I, I want to say Everton win, but like you said, Arsenal are so unpredictable and that draw against Southampton might give them some belief. So I'm going to go for a two, one Arsenal win, but it may end as a draw as one, one maybe, but I think Arsenal nick it. Okay. Uh, the other game, Spurs versus Leicester. This is a good game. This has the potential to be a really, really good game, but I think Spurs are going to stick to their game plan of playing on the counter. I think Leicester, with no disrespect to them, don't have the same quality as a Liverpool, for example. So Spurs counter will work, and I think they'll win 3-1. Yeah, I agree. Spurs are definitely going to play in the counter. They infected the, uh, a counter-attack masterclass on Leicester in Project Restart and went up like three or four goals inside like half an hour. So uh, Brendan Rodgers and Leicester will obviously be smart and, and be aware of that. But like you said, the quality in, in Tottenham's attack gets them the win. So I think I was going to say 3-1-2, but now that you've taken that, I'm going to go with the 2-1. Yeah, still, still on the same page. So we'll see how that one plays out. Yep. And then the last one, which I'm pretty excited about, is Manchester United versus Leeds. Is Man United at home? Yeah. Yeah, 3-1 to Leeds. <coughs> Sorry. You don't you don't believe me there? <laughs> I I just I, I don't know what's going on with your predictions. <laughs> This is, this is just the feeling I have. And and if I'm wrong, it's fine. I, I'd rather be right so my United stay below us. <laughs> but that's no. kind of, you know, Leeds are an explosive team. I heard our players say they're one of the toughest teams they faced this season, even though we won that game. But physicality and the, the way they play and Man United at home, I've been Man United at home. So 3-1 to Leeds United. Oh, that's That's a fair shout. And Leeds are coming off of a big win against Newcastle. Um, they scored five. And if you haven't seen Jack Harrison's goal, I highly encourage you to go check it out. But I think United would keep it tight and it ends nil-nil. Okay, so going for the draw. Yep. All right. So we move on to our final segment, which is the blast from the past. This is one of my favorite segments, actually. Yeah, I hope, I, I hope you enjoy it too. I definitely enjoy it, and some of the names that have come up in the past six weeks have have been very good, and and I look forward to who you got for us today. So I picked a player that's played for Chelsea. He didn't have a long career, or maybe the most illustrious career. He actually made his name before he came to Chelsea, but he does deserve a definite shout out. 
I picked Ruud Hillet. So he is one of the best players to pull on the Dutch jersey. And honestly, I have respect for him pulling on a Chelsea jersey in the seasons that he came before Roman times and all the money and everything. So he started his career with HFC Harlem in Holland, quickly transferred over to Feyenoord, where he played alongside the great Johan Cruyff, and he really made a name for himself there. He got a big transfer to PSV back in the day. It was 1.2 million Dutch guilders. He played 75 games in two seasons for them and scored an impressive 53 goals. This made Milan, who were then like huge in Italy, pay 18 million guilders, which was a world record fee back then. And he replaced another familiar name that some of you may know, who is Ray Wilkins. When he came to Milan, he joined up with two other Dutch players in Marco van Basten and Frank Rijkaard. So I am just throwing in all the Dutch players' names today. So hopefully I don't have to use them in the future. He actually won his first Ballon d'Or in 1987 with Milan. He moved over to Sampdoria for a quick stint and then joined Chelsea in the 95 season. He played one full season for us where he made 40 appearances and scored six goals, operating mostly from midfield. Early on in his career, he played almost as a second striker and attacking, attacking midfielder. Chelsea kind of toned it back a little bit. In his remaining two seasons, he was actually player manager for us and guided us to an FA Cup in the 96-97 season, left us in the 97-98 season and retiring as a player formerly then. And honestly, he quoted his time in Chelsea and in England as the only time he really had fun and enjoyed playing his football. I'm sure he loved all of the times, but it's just the beauty of being at a club that makes you feel loved. That's a great, great, great blast from the past. And Rude Hillett was, I want to say, one of the biggest superstars back then. Yeah, I think it slowly showed Chelsea bringing in the caliber of player and attracting the caliber of player, even though there wasn't that much money back in the day. It was just where we were as a club and what we were building towards. And, and you know, the success that's come after that. And he, and he won us an FA Cup. So, you know, brilliant, brilliant job by him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, my blast from the past is a little closer to our game this weekend. So this player played for both teams, West Ham and Chelsea. And in fact, you and I met him. So I'm sure by now you figured out who I'm talking about. It's Mr. Joe Cole. Wow. I remember Mr. Joe Cole. Yeah. Tell us more about him. Yep. So he played for West Ham, came through their academy. And uh, between his two stints at West Ham, in fact, he played for them twice. He's made 187 appearances for them, scoring 18 goals and 10 assists. And that earned him a, a move to Chelsea two years after Frank Lampard himself moved from West Ham to Chelsea. Uh, so in 2003, Chelsea paid 6.6 million for Joe Cole. And I remember when we first started watching Chelsea and Joe Cole was, was you know, making this switch over and, and breaking into the team. Uh, but he really burst onto the, the scene under Jose Mourinho. It, and that's weird to say because most of the time Mourinho spent was talking how Joe Cole has to do better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but some of the most memorable things from Joe Cole occurred against Manchester United. And, and the first one was that goal he scored at the bridge against them in the 2006 season, where he beat three Manchester United players, including uh, Rio Ferdinand. Right. And slots in a, a goal past Edwin van der Sar and, and puts Chelsea up 2 nothing in a game that Chelsea had to win to claim the title. Um 
And so that was the first one. And then the second one was in 2010 when he scored a, a flick at Old Trafford. Um, and that also helped us win the title that season. So he made 280 appearances for us. And, and he by far was one of the most uh, gifted players that we've, we've brought to the club. And uh, injuries kind of slowed him down a little bit. But Joe Cole... What a player and, and what a man. I remember, like I said, we met him in, at the New England game in, in Boston and he spoke to us like he knew us for ages. Um, we told him we were from Ghana and he brought up Michael Essien right away. Um, but classy guy, classy player, and uh, we could we could use him right now in, on the wing. Yeah, for sure. Honestly, fond, fond memories of that man. I'm so glad you picked him as our blast in the past. Honestly, you know, it's somebody we we watched growing up, so we got the full experience. Ruud Hullet is, is brilliant and was a brilliant servant for Chelsea, but it's just having that nostalgia of seeing Joe Cole. And that goal you talked about where he scored against Man United and just put Rio Ferdinand in his back pocket, that is still one of my favorite Joe, Cole's, Joe, Joe Cole goals of all time. Yeah, me too. I, I, I actually remember watching that game. It was a 12.30 kickoff, and we actually you and I and some of our friends back in Ghana participated in a soccer tournament. I don't know if you remember this, but right, yeah. this game was in the morning and then we were like going through our tournament and we watched this goal and I was like, I'm going to do this tonight. <laughs> I, I didn't, but it, it got me ready for our game too. Now he brings the passion out in everybody. Joe Cole was such a wonderful flair player. I'm glad you brought him up today. Yeah. So uh, I hope we win and make Joe Cole proud this weekend. <laughs> Yeah, make sure he's listening, Joe. I hope you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> if he's not, Ole, let get, please get him to listen to us. <laughs> but all in all, it's been a fun podcast. We've covered a bunch of topics today. Um, hoping we don't have to talk about another Chelsea defeat soon. Um, but either way, it's been fun, Jackie, and, and I look forward to our next podcast. Uh, right before we go, I want to give a, a special shout out to John. Silto, uh, he sent us this beautiful Lampard uh, print, and I'll post this on our Instagram for everyone to see. But um, if you don't know John, John Silto is is a, 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 a an artist, and he makes prints not just of Chelsea but all the Premier League teams. So do check him out. His website is siltovisual.com. That's S-I-L-L-I-T-O-E visual.com. Um, and if you're looking for a Christmas present for yourself or, or a significant other or a friend or Jackie and myself, if you want to send us something, uh, we'd appreciate a, a print from from John. So definitely check it out. And, and thank you so much, John. Yeah, wonderful gesture. Really, really appreciate it. It's such a beautiful print. Yep. So that rounds it up, Jackie. Um, I'm looking forward to this weekend and I hope we get back to winning ways. And we'll obviously be talking and then we'll be back next week with another episode. And hopefully I win again in my fantasy premier league to make it three out of three. Good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And thank you all for listening. We, we appreciate and love your support. It's been a good first few, six weeks, I think it's been right now. And, and we've, we've got a lot of feedback and a lot of support and we're loving it and please share your reviews on Apple, uh, reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram at the Premier Chels, and we'll be back again next week. Thank you all. Bye. <laughs>